Okay, so welcome to our final day of one year hence. Today, by the way, is literally the day when in Santa Cruz, we went into lockdown. It was March 19th, 2020. So I kind of like that this week culminates on that. It might be different where you're living, but for us, this is the literal coronaversary. So let's start by sitting. So just closing your eyes if you're comfortable. And doing so and feeling into the, the body sitting. Maybe sensing where you're sitting, your seat against the cushion or the chair or the car seat, your legs or feet against the floor and just feeling the stability. Letting yourself be held up by what you're sitting on. Maybe taking a couple of long, slow, deep breaths and on the exhale, softening the body. Around that uprightness, or maintaining the alertness. But inviting ease. We could think of the body as anchored where it's sitting, the way a sea plant is anchored on the sea floor and it just floats in the water above that stable anchor. We imagine our arms floating, our head floating on the body. But the natural energy is that we're buoyed upward like that sea plant. And gently connecting with the sensations of the breath. simple flowing sensations, not an idea or a concept, but the actual touch of the air, the actual temperature in the nasal passages, flow of these simple direct sensations as a way of connecting to the present moment, giving the mind a simple home.
Just noticing how the mind is, how the heart is now. Is there a dominant mood or flavor to the mind, something weighing on the mind or not, some simple, relatively happy mind? Maybe checking in with the energy level as the mind a little overexcited, agitated, busy, or is the mind a little dull right now, tired, sleepy? All these things are normal. We can just notice that and incorporate that into our present moment awareness. One way to imagine the mind is that it is what holds all of these changing experiences, the experience of the body, the experience of agitation or happiness or sleepiness or irritation. All of those things are held within this large space of the mind. They come and go. Can we feel into what it is that holds all of what's going on in our experience?
we may sense that this container holding experience is somehow peaceful, more peaceful than what arises and passes within it. Sometimes an image used is like the sky, mind like the sky and other things like weather or clouds coming and going. So if that is of interest, I'm trying to rest in that sky or be that sky, not bothered by all the things that come and go, not excited by them, not offended by them. Just like the sky doesn't worry about all the clouds that come and go, the rain, the birds,
It all looked so peaceful. I didn't want to end the meditation. It's a lovely kind of meditation, that um, large, spacious type. Um, so today we'll again um, be touching into some wisdom, some heart, as the final day of our celebration, if you will, of one year of pandemic so far. Maybe it's funny to call it a celebration, but I think we could we could try. So I want to talk a little bit about a sutta that mentions a salt crystal. And the summary, kind of the overall picture of what's the teaching is, is that um, you know, when, when difficult things happen, we can experience them in different ways, essentially. So for example, when the heart is small and confined and kind of caught up in something, we know what that feels like, then something difficult that comes into that situation can overwhelm uh, the heart in the same way that if you put a lump of salt into a glass of water, the water is completely different. You know, it becomes undrinkable. It's very much changed by because it's such a small amount of water. Whereas in contrast, if the mind and the heart are large and expansive and have more of this sky-like quality to them, then something difficult comes in. Maybe the same difficult thing comes in, but it doesn't make as big of a ripple in the mind. It doesn't make as big of a difference. Just like if we were to place a lump of salt into a lake, for example, you know, it hardly changes the lake water at all. And it just doesn't have that much effect. So the, there's a line from that sutta. There is the case where a certain individual is developed in contemplating the body, developed in virtue, developed in mind, developed in discernment, unrestricted, large-hearted, dwelling with the immeasurable. And that's the description of a person who has this larger mind. And then it goes on to say, for such a person, you know, there aren't so many uh, effects from the daily vicissitudes of life. So this points toward, you know, what the Buddha taught on this path, which is not so much that things stop happening as we develop more in practice. You know, it's not that, you know, people we know aren't going to suffer. It's not that we aren't going to age and get sick and die. It's not that the world is going to suddenly stop being the world. But these things are somehow held in a different way by a person who is cultivating themselves on the path. So I think this is a very realistic teaching. We sometimes have idealistic hopes that somehow we're going to reach effectively what is heaven, you know, it'll all be pleasant, it won't be unpleasant, all my problems will be gone. And it doesn't, the path doesn't quite promise that. Things do get better in the sense that we start making better choices about how we live our life, so we don't run into quite as many of the conflicts and difficulties that we would otherwise, you know, we can all think of the times when we made bad decisions that led to certain problems, but there are also problems that come just from being human. And those ones you know, don't get, don't go away because of the path, but we can relate to them differently. 
So that's, I think, the big promise. And it, it, to me, that feels much more mature and realistic than somehow hoping that everything is going to magically get cured or fixed in some way. So it seems also seems realistic to me that we could develop uh, the mind and the heart such that it, it was held in this way. That's what I see in spiritual beings that I admire. Um, they just seem so well-balanced, so large-hearted, so wise and discerning um, about the everyday things that happen in their lives. So this phrase that this quote ends with, which is dwelling with the immeasurable, um, I think it has kind of two aspects, one being wisdom and the other being um, the heart, which are the dimensions that we've been exploring all week and how they so clearly relate to each other, right? I love this. Um, I'll read the, this uh, set of qualities again. Developed in contemplating the body, developed in virtue, developed in mind, developed in discernment, unrestricted, large-hearted, dwelling with the immeasurable. It's beautiful. So wisdom, which is you know, sort of the realm of discernment and mind, uh, gives us a big perspective on things. You know, that's um, one, one possible way that wisdom manifests. We learn that things are not worth getting so upset about because with the big perspective, if we can see them as coming in and going out in a bigger space, um, we also see that things are not so personal, like we talked about yesterday with not-self and emptiness. The mind can be more unruffled. That's another phrase that's used in the suttas. Beings are unruffled. Do you know people who are unruffled? I do. I think it's kind of nice. It's a nice quality. So maybe even if there's a global pandemic or if there's climate change or if there's uh, racial injustice and social unrest of various kinds, it's not... Um, not that we don't care, I'll get on to that in a moment, but we see them in the big perspective. Um, you know, we can be wrapped up in these things, uh, caught up, uh, pained by the drama of it all. Um, but some people are courageous enough to take an even bigger perspective on them and see them as part of the flow of history. The world's going to be like this. And then we have more choices about how we respond to that. So that's the next part is that this is not an uncaring kind of state. I don't think you can have a huge perspective like that and genuinely and not have some connection there. So far from, you know, far from being disconnected to become wise in this way, if you want to be that large perspective to get there, the path involves cultivating sensitivity sensitivity to experience. We have to get very sensitive to body, mind, heart, world. That's the, med the meditative path, is that we sit with the very simple arisings of like what we did in the meditation. How's your mood right now? Um, we have to really feel into that and sense that if we're going to cultivate in the way that that quote says, get wise. To be wise, we have to be sensitive. So the, we will also naturally be able to experience great compassion and great love. That's just part of the same territory. Catherine McGee, who's a teacher from the UK, says that the, the middle way of the Buddhist path is about the union of objectivity and sensitivity, which I love. So she says it's the union of seeing clearly, um, not being fooled, seeing clearly, and uh, feeling what is actually happening. 
those two together uh, form the middle way so that our path is not unbalanced and so that we can genuinely not suffer in the world. So I would say that genuine compassion arises from seeing with wisdom. Um, this is called waking up. <laughs> and as this happens, we can maybe start to discern a, a calling in the heart, something that is um, awakening within us, a flow that we can enter. Maybe that's another way to say it, the stream that we enter as practice starts to um, awaken the heart. And it takes different forms for different people. So, um, for some people, this calling or awakening that we feel uh, essentially becomes a call to service. You know, we start to feel like we want to um, connect with other people, to serve the world, to start uh, genuinely helping in some way with all these challenges that we have a big perspective on. And the great thing is that it, when we do that genuinely, uh, we'll actually be able to help. <laughs> there are a lot of people trying to help who are also getting caught up and therefore, you know, it's sometimes helpful and sometimes not. We've probably been there ourselves also. And as we keep cultivating ourselves, we become actually better and better able to actually help uh, to lessen, genuinely lessen suffering in the world without creating more along the side while we're doing that. It's very beautiful, it's called service. There's also um, a call to practice and to contemplation that is just as valid. Uh, when we start to wake up, we may actually say, wow, this path is amazing. Um, I'm gonna go as far as I can along it. Um, maybe service will come eventually, but maybe my response to feeling this calling is to go on a three month retreat. That's very beautiful. Also, um, very beautiful response. Actually, the fact that there are people doing long retreat and really developing, cult, you know, dedicating their lives to cultivating is tremendously inspiring for people. Like monastics, for instance, people feel inspired just to see them sometimes, you know, see them walking in a line with their alms bowl, so mindful, so gentle through the world. Don't we feel kind of an uplift of heart to see that? There are people who are doing this. Wow, they're really doing it. And then we think I could do that too. So it may not be that the, that line of monastics is out there at the protest um, fighting for social justice, but somehow they promote it just as deeply by inspiring people like you and me to practice and keep up our practice and know that it has a real fruit. Um, so there's different paths. You know, both of these are compassion and both of these are wisdom, the call to service or the call to a contemplative life. So it's important to honor what works for us. So the question actually for us, each of us is you know, to examine that in ourselves. What are you doing with your life? Are you um, following what is most valuable? Or are you sort of just getting through trying to enjoy a few sense pleasures before you get too old to enjoy them? You know, um, not that we don't have those forces in us, but uh, Given that we're celebrating a pandemic, which has brought a lot of illness and death and challenge, um, consider, you know, what is it that when you're lying on your deathbed, when you look back, what would you wish you have done with your life? Maybe there's some deep rumbling in your heart that you would listen to. 
And, you know, we can't know that for sure, but from time to time, think about that. I think very few people lie on their deathbed and say, I wish I had spent more time in the office. Probably not. <laughs> I used to volunteer in hospice and um, it's interesting to see what changes come about as people are getting close to the end and what they remember and what they think about. So, yeah. What do you wish that you would listen to in your heart? What are you gonna wish you would listen to when you get to that point? So I think only you know that, and that's not for others to judge, and we'll have many different stages in our life. So honor what stage we're at also. We may also realize that we're deeply grateful for our practice, for the path, for the teachings, for Sangha. Truly, there's no better protection from a pandemic, from a changing world, from all the other things of life than this practice. And we honor that by enacting it, by doing it, by practicing well, which all of us are, at least for this 45 minutes we are, so you can be happy about that. So today we talked about, you know, about wisdom, big mind, the big wisdom perspective, and the big heart that goes along with that boundless heart, the heart qualities of compassion, of gratitude. So we have wisdom and compassion as our final pairing. And these two have been called the wings to awakening by the Buddha. We need both of them. So I hope that has given you something to reflect on, um, given this, the nature of what we're exploring this week. And I'll give you guys a chance now to talk among yourselves. Um, you can reflect for a moment while I create the breakout groups. Um, the questions is, as the world is starting to shift toward whatever it's going to be post-pandemic, we're starting to have some movement in that direction. What is arising in your heart as a way to go forward? Um, is there some calling either toward service or toward deeper practice? And what is inspiring you at this time? And you know, as we listen to each other in the groups, um, please be very sensitive about what people are sharing. Of course, only share what you're comfortable with in that question, but it's not a time for advice or judgment about that. Um, but just listen to what, what your colleagues have to say. I'll put you into groups now. And, okay. Have fun. All right, so welcome back. We have just a few more minutes and I would love to hear any comments or reflections, or wisdom that came up in your group, or questions. I thought it was really a rich experience and um, deep bows to my Dharma buddies in the group and um, and to you too, Kim, thank you for your sweet teachings. And I'm especially excited because I think you're at Insight Meditation Center twice next week. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, it's it's great. I, I always enjoy seeing you there on the phone. I appreciate that you've um, managed to do most of the pandemic without turning on your screen, which is <laughs> something that's probably very healthy. So thank you, Michael. Uh, 
And just to clarify, this is my landline. My laptop and iPad are untouched in a closet. Wow, fantastic. Now there is an ideal for us to aspire to. It's fantastic. Steve, it looks like you're talking, but you're muted. I don't think I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I think I turned them off a lot more. Uh -huh. Putting them in the closet, I, maybe, maybe when I'm a further down the path. <laughs> um, yeah, beautiful. I'm also teaching a class right now on renunciation. So some of these comments are kind of resonating with that. Um, One thing I've become during the pandemic, seeming, seemingly forced to be is more patient. Um, patient, yeah. I'm more patient with myself and with other people. That's great. That's, I think challenging situations um, tend to bring out qualities that are, uh, if we're you know, being mindful, they will bring out wholesome qualities like patience or wisdom. If we encourage that, you know, they can also easily point toward unwholesome things, but with mindfulness, some encouragement, there's a way in which rubbing up against things can somehow uh, actually help, help develop us, which is one of the beauties of this path, yeah. It looked like you might have also been saying something else, Michael. Is that correct? No. Yes. Um, I love that renunciation class. Thank you for teaching that. That has been really rich. Oh, good. Good. Anything else? I don't... Yeah. I just... Uh want to thank you and just say that I, I really feel enriched going through this week with you through the class, really. Like, it set me kind of free and to another level of thinking. Some give me intellectual stimulation. I don't know how to express, but that's what it is. Thank that was you. expressed nicely. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'd just like to... I missed, unfortunately, a couple, but I did sit because I had 15 minutes on Wednesday and Thursday, both, but, but I didn't feel like calling in. But I really appreciated the intention of reflecting on the year and just stopping. So just the idea of making the space, I really appreciate. And I was wondering if I could give everybody a quiz because I missed two. Can people say what the, what the wisdom and the heart one was for each week? Do you guys remember? Ooh. Because I missed them. I know one was um, impermanence and equanimity. That was Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, well, we, we'll make a little review. I'm glad you asked that. So Monday was the mind or the primacy of the mind in our happiness or suffering paired with faith or trust. And Tuesday was impermanence and equanimity. Wednesday was views and perceptions uh, and meta, and of course the inaccuracy of views and perceptions um, paired with meta. 
Thursday was emptiness and not self paired with joy. And today we had the big mind wisdom paired with compassion. And you didn't even take them. Can I find them on Audio Dharma or somewhere else? Yeah, I've been posting them on Dharma Seed. Dharma Seed, great. Thanks. Dharma Seed, yeah. I'd like to go find no self. <laughs> Thanks. Great. Well, we're just about over time. I'll just pick up one theme that um, a couple of you mentioned as our last comment is that there are several kinds of wisdom in Buddhist teachings. There's the wisdom of hearing, of just taking things in. There's the wisdom of reflection. And there's the wisdom of that comes from practice from actually. And of course, the last one is the one that really transforms us. But the other two are also essential to the path. And I feel like we emphasize hearing. There's so many Dharma talks out there we could listen to. And we hear and we read books and all this stuff. And we meditate. But when do we do that middle one where we get together, we really reflect, we chew things over. That's an area where I really like to teach. And um, that's been the focus this week. It's the focus of the Sutta study class that I teach on Fridays. So I think that's an area where we can really start to um, bring the teachings deeper into the heart in order to prepare us to go deeper in our meditation, which is, of course, where it really matters. But um, so thank you all for participating in that process. We all learn from it. I certainly have this week. And I wish you many great blessings in your practice. So take care. Be thank well. You. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Kim. Bye, thank you, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.